Well, good morning, everyone. We're going to begin a new series. We're uh, working our way through the book of Romans. And if you've been with us over the last year, you know we started in Romans chapter 1, and we went through chapter 5, and we hit the pause button, went on to a few other subjects, and and then we came back and covered chapter 6 and went all the way to chapter 8 and hit the pause button. And we're going to pick up again, but not in 9 through 11. We're going to skip over that. Uh, really don't like what's in 9 and 11. We're going to just go right to chapter 12. And 12 to 16 is just powerful, exciting stuff about how to live out the gospel, really. If you want to put a title on Romans chapter 12 to Romans chapter 16, it's learning how to love well. The world needs love. It's the application of the gospel. If we understand anything about the gospel, we understand that it's an outpouring of love, right? We live in a world today that lives, most people live in fear. Now, we may not. We're very secluded. And, and we might be secluded from the real issues that a lot of people face on a daily basis. But I think some of the issues that people face, they face them here in the South Bay as well. Recent attack in Paris reminds us that we're all vulnerable. I was FaceTimed by a good pastor friend from Zurich, Switzerland. It was, he was concluding his day. I was beginning my day, and he FaceTimed me, and I had a nice chat with him. We talked about the seminary that he runs and the young people that he's training up to become new pastors throughout Zurich, Switzerland, and, and throughout Switzerland and Europe. And he was telling me a little bit about the mission of their, their organization, and they're taking their young people to various places where refugees are showing up and doing ministry with them. And he said, it's absolutely amazing to see how many people are in crisis. Many perish along the way trying to find safety. They live in fear. They live in fear. Everything has been taking, taken away from them. I've been thinking a lot about the people that live with uncertainty. Not just fear, but uncertainty. Uncertain as to whether God will love them for the way they are. Uncertain as to whether the church will love them. Maybe they're challenged, or maybe they're thinking through their own gender identity, or they, they are living in a same-sex attraction relationship, and they're not sure whether the church is the place for them, whether God's for them or not. And they're wondering, what do I do with this? They're uncertain because of a lot of decisions they've made, the way they think about themselves, and they're wondering, how will the church respond? I'm thinking of also people that live with a lot of shame. Something's happened in these people's lives, and they wonder whether God will really love them ever again. I'm thinking of people also that live in isolation because of racism, politics, economic status. People live isolated from one another. So in fear, in uncertainty, in shame, in isolation, what the world really needs is love. John 3.16 reminds us of the heart of the gospel is that for God so loved the world. It was because of God's love, his outpouring love, his sacrificial love. Love is the sacrifice of oneself for another person. That's what love is. And that's what God did when he gave us his only begotten son. It's love. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, that we as Christians who have received the gospel are to live with fervent love. Fervent love. And the word fervent in Latin means to boil or boil over. But in the Greek, it means to be stretched out. 
Think of love as something in your life where you're stretching out as far as you can go. That's love. That's fervent love. Romans chapter 12 to 16 is a study on how we love people well. Love people within our church and love people in our community. We're going to talk about all sorts of issues. We're going to talk about how we relate to our government and politics. We're going to talk about a weaker brother, Paul calls them. A weaker brother is somebody new in their faith, doesn't have full understanding of what it means to walk in Christ, maybe someone who's being challenged by a particular background. Maybe they've come out of a very religious background. And they're wondering, what do I do with my religion or my religiosity or the rules that I've lived with? How do I understand how the gospel impacts me and I walk with Christ? Maybe they're coming out of a difficult relationship or they're in one that they're, that they're wondering about. What does God say about my relationship? And we are to love them well. And we're also going to talk about enemies. And we're going to talk about our own church and other churches, house churches, and leaders. And we are to be people that love well. So that's what we're going to look at over the next several weeks. And we're going to jump in this morning in Romans chapter 12. In the first eight verses of Romans, Paul helps us understand how to prepare to be a loving person. What do we have to do personally that will help us become loving people? And Paul will identify three things. But I want you to see something in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And this is, I believe, the theme of Romans 12 to 16. Right here in one statement, one thought, Paul sums it all up. And he says simply this, love without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy comes from the Greek concept of play, people that, that performed in plays. And they would wear a mask, and they'd put the mask in front of their, they would be hypocrites. They would put a, a mask in front of their faces, and they would appear to be something that they're really not. And that's the idea of a, of a hypocrite, is actually appearing to be what you're really not. And what Paul's saying is, if you believe in the gospel, be loving, be, make sure that you're not simply pretending, but you really are loving. Because it's easy for us to pretend to be loving, but we're really not loving. We're judgmental. We're hurtful. We're, we're, we're not inclusive. We're mean. We, we, there are all sorts of ways that we could communicate that. But we say we're loving, but we're not really living a loving lifestyle. And so Paul says, live it if you believe it. Go for it. Be a loving person. And so here's three things in the first eight verses that you and I can do over and over again to prepare to being a loving person. And here they are. Romans chapter 12. Let me read you the passage out of the New American Standard. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, number one, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Presenting your bodies... To God is number one. Being devoted fully to God is number one. Number two, verse two, and don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformation of the way you think. You've got to be transformed in your mind. 
And the third thing is here in verse 3 all the way to verse 8. And Paul says, For through the grace given to me, I say everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God allotted to each a measure of faith. He goes on, For just as we have many members in one body, all members do not have the same function. Key word, function. It's how you function in the body that Paul says will make you a loving person. You function in a unique way in the body of Christ. He goes on to explain. So we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly of prophecy, according to the proportion of your faith, if service in his serving, or he who or she teaches in their teaching, he or she who exhorts in their exhortation, he who gives, gives liberally, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Notice what Paul is doing. Paul's identifying various functions that we all play in the body of Christ. This is not exhaustive, but it's supposed to be an example of several ways in which you and I as members of the body of Christ function well in the body. And so the third thing that we need to do over and over and over again is learn how to serve and serve well. So it's learn to be devoted to God fully. Number two, it's be transformed in your mind. And number three, it's learn how to serve well in the body of Christ. And when you do that, you're fully devoted to God, you have a transformed mind, and you function within the body, guess what? You are naturally going to produce love in your relationships. And the rest of Romans 12 through 16 describes that kind of a person. But you've got to begin here. And so let's look at these three things. The first one is be devoted to God, fully devoted to God. And Paul describes that as giving over your body. Notice the language that he uses. He says, present, it says your soma, somata, the whole body, the body itself. Now you have to understand that when Paul's talking to people that live within the Greek world, their idea of the body was that it was just a, uh, it was an encumbrance. It was a nuisance. That life was a nuisance. That, that, that our body didn't produce anything of value. It was all up here in the mind, and we had to overcome it. And one day we're going to shed this nuisance, this body, and we're going to go on into some spiritual reality in another place, and we're going we're to live our fullness out. And, and they had a term for this. In, in, uh, in Greek uh, philosophy, it was soma sema estin, which literally means the body is a tomb. Human spirit entombed that longed to escape out of the body. It was platonic thought that the body was this embarrassing encumbrance. And yet what Paul says here is he regains, he restores the value of your life. Your whole life has value and importance. Every part of your life. We have to rethink this whole thing about giving ourselves to Christ as an idea of maybe some spiritual movement that we do or some decision or some prayer and we're done and we're concluded and that's it. And it's some spiritual relationship that we have with God. In fact, Paul says, present your whole bodies, 
Your physical body, your spirit, your soul, and your physical, your corporeal self, everything about you is to be devoted to God. He uses cultic language because in the cultic uh, idea of, of this idea of, 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 a, of a sacrifice is that you present something on an altar. The Jews had their altar and they presented these lamb sacrifices in order to appease God to atone for their sins. But in Greek culture as well, they had, they had these sacrifices and all throughout ancient Near Eastern history, they had these altars set up and they would sacrifice something that would honor the gods, so to speak, on their behalf. And what Paul says is don't offer me a lamb sacrifice, offer me yourself. It's a living, you are a living spiritual being connected to God, offer your whole self to God. And the question is, how do we do that? How do, you, how do I offer my body? I understand how I can pray a prayer. I can go to church. I can fulfill certain functions. But how do I actually devote my whole life to God as a body, as a human being? That's the question. And that's what Paul says is a way in which we get to become a loving person. That's the first way, be fully devoted. Well, I thought about this, and, and two thoughts came to mind. Number one is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and also in chapter 6, verse 19, Paul tells us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? That your body houses the Spirit of God within it. That God thought so much to put glory and power and his own presence in our lives. So here we are as human beings living in a fallen world. We know that this body will die, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this body will live again. It will be changed from mortal to immortal. We have that hope. We know that we get a resurrected body and live in eternity with the body and the life that we've lived on this earth continues on. We know that. And Paul says, the living sacrifice is you. You are You are literally a temple, not a tomb. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your life, everything about you is about showing the glory of God through your life. The Spirit of God wants to come out. It wants to be emanated from you. It wants to be manifested from your life in what you do and how you live your life. So think of every decision you make, every way you treat your body, your whole life is important in this commitment. Be careful. So I thought of another verse, and here it is, Ephesians 4.31. Paul is talking to believers, and there's all sorts of infighting and relational conflict that occurs, and we experience that too. We're we're just like the, the church of Ephesus. It happens. It just naturally happens that there will be conflict and disappointment and discouragement in relationships. And Paul says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So he's telling us to get rid of those kinds of behaviors. You need to get rid of those. And then the next verse, and I I can't tell you how many times in a marital uh, uh, counseling appointment over the years I have shared this next verse. 
Because this is so typical of relationships and typical in marriage that you get into one of these conflicts. What do we do? Can I ever forgive? Can I ever get rid of the rage? Can I get a, ever get to a place of forgiveness? And then the next verse reminds me, this is why I can get there. This is why you can get there. And this is what it looks like to be fully devoted to God when you do what this verse says. Here it is, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving. You put away all the wrath, all the anger, all those feelings and emotions and all the unforgiveness. You let all that go, and there it is, 431. It says, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. The reason why I can do that and live that way, the reason why I can give up the, the anger or the bitterness or the unforgiveness is because God let it go with me, because he forgave me, so I can forgive others. That's being fully devoted. That's just one example of being fully devoted to God. It's letting those things go. Now think of another way. Find another way of showing that your whole self is devoted and committed to God. Um, the Jews, according to Douglas Moo, who wrote a commentator in Romans, said that Jerusalem temple and its cult was the center of worship. So for the Jewish mind, the temple and their active worship was, was offering some sacrifice. And then Moo says this, the Christian looks back to the once for all sacrifice of Christ. Jesus gave himself fully over to God. And in that sacrifice demonstrated what it meant to be fully devoted to God. And the words that come to mind are the words that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 and in verse 4. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus prayed those words. I gave them. I gave you my life. I did it. I gave you my whole life and I served you and I did what you asked of me. This is Jesus praying to the Father. This is what it looks like to be a fully devoted person of faith, being willing to pray that prayer. Lord, I'm willing to give every aspect of my life to you, my whole body, what I put into it, what comes out of it, everything. Number two, be transformed. You've got to be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Do you see that? In verse two, be con not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, a lot of commentators want to they want, to, they want to separate conformity to the world with transformation of the mind. Like, conformity to the world is bad, and transformation of the, of the world of, of your mind is good, right? And that makes a lot of sense, because conformity is an external thing. It's an external standard. And transformation is something that happens that's internal, that happens deeper within you. You're changed internally, not simply by conforming to an external standard. That makes total sense. But I want to put those two things together because Paul will often use the word conform in a positive way as well. And so what I think what Paul is saying here is be careful of the external standards of the world that flood our minds, that transform us both internally and externally to become a certain kind of person. What comes into your mind will change and direct who you are. 
It will affect not only internally, but externally the kind of person you're becoming. What you focus on, what you think about, what you take in. And there's these external standards that the world has placed on us. And, and we hear those messages, and if we believe them long enough, guess what? They transform your mind. You begin to believe them, and then what do you do? You start living on the basis of those standards. How do you change that? How do we start living with a renewed mind that's renewed based upon what we know to be true, the Word of God? It's a matter of taking every thought captive and knowing that everything that we believe is based on truth. Those two ideas. You've got to take every thought. I was listening recently. My brother introduced me to a great teaching by a gentleman who was trained in the John Maxwell Leadership Ministry. His name is Douglas Shiza. He's from Africa, and he's an outstanding communicator. And he basically gives this whole talk on transforming the mind, and here's what he says. He says this. The devil loves to make a playground out of people's minds. Do you ever notice that? And your imaginations. He delights in filling their perceptions and senses with illusions that captivate them, paralyze them, and ultimately destroy them. That you and I have an enemy. And the enemy is not physically attacking you, it's mentally attacking you. It's going after your mind. It's going after the way you think. And flooding your mind with imaginations and thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God. And it's happening all day long. And you're hearing those messages. And you're having to decipher, i got to take them captive. What's going on here? You have to take control. And there has to be some way in which you decide, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to listen to that. But I'm going to listen to the truth. I'm not going to listen to that lie. And he's throwing these things at you. What you think about will change your life. I mean, this is, this is brain science. We've been through this because I did a whole series on emotionally healthy people and I talked about the value and importance of the mind in becoming an emotionally healthy person. And I referenced hardwiring happiness by Dr. Hansen, Rick Hansen, who's a neuropsychologist, and Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who has got a pathology background and an audiology background and wrote a book called Switch on Your Brain, who comes from a Christian perspective, Dr. Hansen doesn't, from a materialistic, scientific perspective, and they're saying the exact same thing. A scientist and a faith-based doctor are saying the exact same thing. And they both say that if you want happiness and you want to think good thoughts and have a good life, then you've got to be careful what goes into it because it begins to create what's called, it's, it's neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity, if you've had any brain trauma, there was a person at the beach who came up and said, thank you for talking about neuroplasticity because my husband just suffered a very severe brain trauma. And the doctor said that, this, that he would not have his brain back. He wouldn't function ever again. And we're proving him wrong because he is beating it. He's coming back. It's called neuroplasticity. The, that the brain itself can rewire. The brain itself can, can, can grow and, and it can develop. And, and, and it actually, what you think about, kind of changes what's going on in your brain. Because the brain becomes the center of all your behavior. And so both of these would agree that what Dr. Hansen says is if you want to change the way you think and, and find happiness he says, is keep resting your brain on a positive experience for it to shape your brain. 
I mean, this is a scientist. You know, this is somebody in the science medical field neuro, that's, that's talking this kind of language. Um, he also says this. He says, take in good experiences. They will be weaved into your brain. They will be weaved into your brain. Good experiences. What you think about impacts your life. Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Recent studies lead, led credence to the biblical view, my research included. It is discovered that the brain continually changes in response to mental and sensory signals throughout the human lifespan. This process is known as neuroplasticity. And the devil can inject a thought into your mind. And you have to ask the question, do I want to believe that? And you might be sitting here this morning and you, something just popped in your mind. You're going, this is not from God's word. I, I'm no good. I hate myself. I don't want to live. What is it that you're thinking or hearing? What voice, what, what, what agreements are you making with the wrong person? And if you want to change your life, it has to be a transformation of your mind. So you need to begin thinking what is true of you. You need to focus on the truth. Um, you can spend a lot of time in God's word. You can spend a lot of time in God's word. And every time you spend in God's word, you are creating these mental images as well as these spiritual inputs that are changing the way you think. And when you look at a verse, do not present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. Transform. And I see it, sit and I look at that and I read it and I walk away. What am I remembering? Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. What am I listening to right now that is, that is taking me down as opposed to up? I'm being transformed in my mind, in my thinking. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You have to make a spiritual and mental decision. You have to. You have to get control of your minds. You've got to take charge. Or guess what happens? More thoughts flood in, and it will just overwhelm you. Have you ever thought, have you ever had a thought, and you just kind of focused on that, and you started worrying about it, and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse? And then it turned, and then it, then it moved into other areas of your life. And then you became afraid of all sorts of things. That's how a lot of phobias come about rather than attacking it, wait a minute, I'm going to attack this with the truth of God's word. I'm going to go after it. You've got to spend time in God's word. You've got to look at it. You've got to read it. You've got to remember it. You've got to focus on it. You've got to walk away from it going, I, haven't, I, I see it. I see that verse. It's my verse today, and I'm going to hold on to it. And transformation begins to happen in your mind. Third thing. Be serving. You've got to serve. You've got to know your function in the body of Christ. You see the, the rest of the passages by the grace given to us. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. So what he's saying is, don't think that you're in charge of the body. You're a member of the body of Christ as I'm a member of the body. I'm no important in the body, in the scheme of the body of Christ than you are. We are all believers in Christ and we make up a body and we all play a role. I just happen to play one role that's different than the role that you play. doesn't mean my role is any more important than your role. That's what Paul's saying. And if I think that, I'm going to become prideful. But if I understand not to think more highly of myself, but to think with sound judgment, ah, I'm just a member. I'm just serving in a unique way in the body of Christ. 
according to the measure of faith that God has given me. Do you see that? God has given us faith. God's given you faith to do something in the body, to function, verse 4, to exercise, verse 6, in a unique way. It's called a gift. The word is charismata, which literally means a gift of the Spirit. It's, you've been graced, charis, graced, with a gift of the Spirit, which is an empowerment, which is a unique ability to do something that you couldn't do on your own unless the Holy Spirit does it through you. Now, you may be good at something, but when you're graced with a gift, you become really good, and people get blessed. People are encouraged. People will tell you oftentimes, thank you. That was amazing what you did. You prayed for me. You encouraged me. You brought a meal to me. You helped with our children's ministry. My kid is a, is, is a different kid because of that. We have parents say, your high school leaders are amazing. They impacted my daughter's life, my son's life, walked through a really hard time. That's a gift. That's a gift. Junior high ministry. Even serving in the church, you think, well, gosh, even serving setting up coffee and just that warm feeling that we get when we walk into this place to be able to experience a wonderful community of faith and worship and hear God's word. You're serving by actually offering your gift to help somebody else experience something powerful in this moment this morning. And there's lots of ways to serve. And Paul describes them right here, doesn't he? He gives examples. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy, which is to speak the truth in a specific situation, God gives you a word from his word to, for someone, and you give it to them and say, I sense that God wanted me to give you this verse or wanted me to encourage you this way. That's a prophetic gift. And some people have that gift. Another gift here is, uh, it says service. Serving, it's just a help gift. It's just help. How can I help? I have this friend, he was at the beach this morning, and I, I, I made eye contact with him, but I didn't use his name because anyone else would know his name because he serves me in so many amazing ways. You'll call him because he'll serve you too. He's just that kind of person. Hey, I need help. Fine, what do you need help with? And I asked him yesterday, how can I help you? He says, no, 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 no you don't need to help me. You don't need to help me. It's not a, like I, he serves and then I have to serve him. He serves, and he does it, and when he does it, I feel so overwhelmed with grace. It's because he does it well. It's because the Spirit of God has given this man a gift of serving. And he does it, he does it holding babies, he does, does it helping with purchases, he does it in lots of different ways. I mean, our beach team is a serving team. They set up for our beach service, and I tell you, they do a great job. And they do it week after week after week after week. It's serving. There's so many ways to serve. Serving is basically, how can I help you? What do you need? I can do that. I, I got time. I'll do it. I'll make time. And when you do it, it's not because, now, nah, gosh, I hope I get paid for it or I get somebody to do something for me. You do it because the Spirit of God is in you and you like blessing other people. And you walk away. You just literally walk away. And you've been blessed by it. You're a better person because of it. Let me just give you some other examples here. Teaching. If you love to teach God's word, you just love to open God's word and you love to communicate. You like having people in your home and sharing the truth of God's word and, and how to grow spiritually and some things you might think about in terms of growing a little bit, then you, love the, you have the gift of teaching. You need to teach. 
Um, here's another one. Exhorting is just encouragement. You're always there with a word of encouragement to someone in need. It's like, whoa. Do you ever find that when you're in crisis, you don't need a teacher? You need an encourager. I don't need to know why I'm in crisis. I don't even know, need to know the explanation of the crisis. That's the teacher. I need encouragement. And guess what? Those people flock to people that are in crisis. And they help. They're encouragers. Um, exhortation. Uh, liberal, you do that in liberality. Exhort. Um, leading. A leader just knows how to get people in the right places, serving and using their gifts, equipping them. Um, diligence, you do that with all diligence. Show mercy. Some people have the gift of mercy. We have a lot of mercy in our staff. I was saying at the beach this morning, mercy comes out in our staff. I mean, Bill, I was talking about Bill and James and Denise and Matt and Tommy, and we're all different in pastors, and we all have different gifts, and, 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 and a lot of mercy on our staff. I, I don't happen to have the gift of mercy. It's not my gift, but that's all right. I got other gifts, right? But we got a lot of mercy. So there's a lot of care. There's a lot of concern and a lot of relationships developing. And, and I think of Bill and I, and Bill and I, we, we have teaching gifts, and we, love the, we have the gift of knowledge and wisdom. We love to grow in our minds. But then Bill has this amazing administration gift that just gets things organized and loves to get things organized. Then he also has this amazing gift of mercy and care and concern for people. And it's incredible when it comes out as a pastor. You've, we've got that on our staff. I'm different in that way. I, I, I part with them a little bit on that, and I'm not as organized. But I love to think about the future. It's the gift of apostleship. I love to push forward. I love to go new places. Think of what God's going to do. I have the gift of faith. I believe that God is going to do this work. I know it. I'm convinced of it. We're going to get there. I know it. Believe me. I have the gift of faith. I know it. Gift of leadership. Gift of teaching. But I lack other gifts because I'm part of a body and that's what you do. There's one final gift here and it's mercy. There's giving and there's also mercy. Showing mercy. And faith. So there's lots of gifts. This is just a small list. There's other places. You could go online today and take a gift inventory survey. You could do it. You could just Google spiritual gift inventory and you could answer some questions. What do you love to do? What am I passionate about? What am I, what am I just kind of naturally drawn to? What do I love to do? What am I good at? And you'll begin to identify some of the gifts that you have in the body of Christ. And what Paul says, if we want to be a loving community, we need to be serving. Because if we're not serving, we're taking. It's not a very loving thing to do. But to serve is to give yourself away. So how is it? Do you just love hosting people in your home? Oh my goodness, we got grounded groups. We need more homes open with people that just say, come on over, set out a beautiful little display of cheeses or whatever, and, and let's, let's enjoy, let's, you know, and crackers, or as James says, Fruit Loops, whatever, put something out. And let's have a discussion. Let's get together and let's, let's just have a discussion and let's just get to know one another. I mean, that's a gift. People that are good at that are good at it. Do you ever notice that? Now, be careful of your gift because 
There's always a positive side there, but there's also a challenge too. Because when you have the gift of teaching, all you do is want to teach. And sometimes somebody doesn't want to listen. And, and, and uh, when you're sitting by a hospital bed, nobody wants a teacher. Just shut up and just care for somebody. Can I pray for you? I'm not going to teach you anything here. I'm just going to pray for you, right? And the person with the gift of mercy always wants to offer mercy. And sometimes you just need to back off and not offer so much mercy, right? Because maybe they don't need all that mercy. Maybe they need to step up. Now they're ready to go. They've been healed or they're, they're ready to stand on their own two feet and they just need to get going. And now they need a teacher. And so we all work together, don't we? And we need servers. And you can over-serve and get burned out. So the challenge this morning is to see ourselves as loving people. And loving people are fully to get dedicated to God. They've given their whole lives to God. Their whole bodies, they've, they've decided, Lord, I'm all in. They are transforming their minds so they're beginning to think as Christ thinks because you can never be a loving person unless you think like Jesus. And they're willing to serve in any way that's part of their gift mix. They've been graced with a gift and they want to give that away and they just want to love on people through their gift giving, through their leading, through their teaching, through their serving. And we become loving people. Let's pray. Father, as we move through this section of Scripture of learning how to love, I pray that we just hit the pause button a minute and think about the fully devoted, dedicated person, the transformed mind, and the serving aspect of our faith. All three of those combined make us amazing people that are willing to love the unlovable, willing to step into situations that need love, not hatred, willing to encourage, willing to build up, willing to offer the world a little love. And we need that. People live with great fear. And we as a church can offer them what no one else can, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. And I pray that it would flow through our lives in our relationships through us as we prepare to become loving people. In Jesus' name, amen.